because what you, the unsung heroes in the wastewater industry do, matters. Every Wednesday, join me, Suzanne Chin Taylor, the Doo Doo Diva, a longtime veteran of the wastewater, transless, and civil infrastructure industry, as I interview guests who are making an impact on how we manage and operate systems for conveying and treating wastewater. I'll also be speaking with representatives of organizations that are utilizing disruptive or new technologies and executives who are going to share how to be successful and sustainable in our vital industry. So whether you want to learn about the latest trends in technology in treatment or trenchless, gain tips on training and retaining great talent, or simply how to be more efficient, productive, or profitable, this podcast is for you. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Do Do Diva Smells Like Money podcast. Today, we're going to be visiting with Ellie Kastner of WH Kastner, and I'm going to introduce her as, well, one, we have to be very proud that today I've got another woman CEO, and it just kind of timed out that we are taping on International Women's Day. Yay, girls. Yeah, one for us. So I am so honored to have her on the show. Ellie has an MBA, and she is, correct me if I'm wrong, the CEO of a three-generation business in the metal fabrication field. And many of you are probably scratching your head going, okay, Suzanne, what does metal fabrication have to do with wastewater and what you normally talk about on your show? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Wastewater treatment facilities, which is something W.H. Kastner has been involved in supplying structural pieces and design for many, many decades and generations, Ellie and I got into talking about the subject of the importance of ergonomics in wastewater treatment plants. And so I'm going to lead off with the first question, Ellie, that you and I were talking about wastewater treatment plant operator safety. And we hear a lot about ergonomics in the office, but very often it's overlooked in wastewater treatment plants, water treatment plants. And why do you think that is? first of all, thanks for having me on your show, Suzanne. Uh, it's been a pleasure getting to know you and especially being here today. So I think because it's not a traditional office space, all of wastewater treatment plants and water treatment plant facilities qualify as trained traffic spaces. And obviously we know that there are special qualifications and it's more of a mechanical background, um, blue collar, if you will. And I think that that somehow maybe socially suggests that it's not applicable to ergonomics, but functionally that's not the case. And so um, as much as ergonomics is spoken about in the office, safety is spoken about in our facilities, but there are sometimes um, a mismatch between actual safety protocols being in place and design-wise, and what should be there. So how do ergonomics and safety kind of, how, how can they be woven together for plants to improve, you know, a work, the work environment for the operators? When you 
when we work on a project in a wastewater treatment facility or water treatment facility, whether it's existing and you're working within the footprint of the building or the plant, the outdoor aeration tanks, or you're building new, an architect, an engineer gets together and they draw the project with the town and deal with the or municipality, deal with the requirements. Then a general contractor puts together the bid of the project with specialty subs and the specialty sub is where I come into the piece. But where are the operators in that conversation? An architect or engineer is coming from a background of academics, potentially many years of experience. A general contractor also has their experience and their specialty of coordinating the subs and different trades on the site. The specialty subs are carrying their niche information like the iron working piece of the equation of my company, but we don't interact with the facility on a daily basis like the operators. We're never going to. So it's important for everyone to be included in the process for the outcome of the most efficient and therefore safest plant. You had mentioned to me sometimes when they do a design, it looks good on paper, you build a wonderful structural piece, you install it, your craftsmanship is great. But then when the operators go to use it, they can't get where they need to be safely. And so how can that, you know, if you can cite a few instances of that and how maybe a situation like that could have been prevented. So, we have one plant that we just finished up work on last year. And at that facility, there were the aeration tanks outside with the um, a lot of straight rail. There were the walkways. Uh, there were these specialty stainless steel pipe arches to hold the different pipe structures. But the round clarifying tanks were in a different area and they didn't put in a stair to get there. So you would have had to walk all the way around outside of the facility to get there. So there ended up being a, not in the pour of concrete, but a additional platform with a stair and extra railing as a change order at the end of a pro the whole process for the actual operators to easily get to the clarifiers, which is all connected to the project. But if somebody had thought of that beforehand, it wouldn't have been a change order. It could have been part of the pour. There wouldn't have been a concrete sub coming back out to pour the sauna tubes. It wouldn't have had to be designed in steel. It's not the biggest deal in the world. It wasn't the biggest change order, but it's just thinking about maybe if an operator had looked at those, the plans in the beginning phases or even in the middle phases of the project, they could have seen, we have to go down there all the time. This piece doesn't work. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So what would your recommendations be for people to start, you know, planning ahead 
for ergonomics and safety if they're going to be putting something out for bid for either an addition, you know, or a new, you know, new plant upgrade, or even a retrofit? What are some of those key components that they need to be thinking about to make sure they have the best outcome based on this? So the first start is if you have an existing facility is to be properly doing your preventative maintenance reviews every year, at least annually, but probably twice a year. We're on a couple projects that have had failures, like failures in stair treads. Um, basically in the 70s, there were a few plants in our area that went ahead with painted steel applications in well areas, and that material just will not last. At this point, we're looking at patches upon patches, um, corroded material to the tune of treads falling out of stairs. So now you're closing down that set of stairs at this particular plant. Uh, it was a pump station, but there was a second set of stairs. But as you know, often there's not. And that would be the only access to the well. So if somebody was doing the preventative maintenance, that's the first place to see which projects need to be prioritized at which level. Are there immediate safety concerns for the workers or the plant? Then those can be tackled either individually in some sort of annual budgeting or if they mount up and it becomes clear that there's gonna be a full retrofit, when you start working on the plans, it can basically go through the same process. Talk to the engineers, talk to the architects, draw it out. But at some point it should go over some sort of foreman or lead operator's desk and have them take a look because they're the ones that are interacting with the facility every day. They may be able to save you a lot of time and money. And you're also showing a really good faith effort of your respect for that person and your respect for the process of what's happening. It's a dismantling of a hierarchy that doesn't really need to be there because we're all working together, not only to make the plant operate as functionally as possible, but that relates to taxpayer dollars, that relates to um, basically how we function in general as a society. And we all know that it feels good at the end of the day to go home after a good day of work. Absolutely. I mean, when you were talking about preventive maintenance, I think there's a lot more focus that's put on the actual mechanical parts that are doing the treatment and that not as much attention is paid to the structure or the things like you were saying, the stairway and the access, because they have to make sure that the components that are doing the thing that the plan is there to do are in optimum condition. And it's just kind of an afterthought, but that it shouldn't be because if someone gets hurt, the liability surrounding that can be very, very high. And I love what you said about the operators because they're they're the ones on the front line knowing what is going to make it easy or challenging for them to deliver the best service to the ratepayers at the end of the day. And it gets down to, you know, we talked on a, on a prior episode about the triple bottom line. 
And you always think of triple bottom line as something for more of the, you know, the private sector. But the principles behind that could be adopted very easily by, by you know, a municipal utility and just thinking about maybe changing it up a bit, people, planet, but instead of profits, productivity. Because when they're productive and end product, everybody wins. So I, I, I really, I really like that a lot, a lot. So anything else that, you know, you've been doing this for, for such a long time that anything else that you'd like to add or your words of wisdom about e even choosing the right type of metals or the right type of construction design, you know, like not letting money be the end all and be all like the low bid. We have to think about what we're investing in today. Are we going to have to replace that? Or is that going to be a maintenance thing that we're going to be having to deal with every six months? Or if we choose this material, it won't cost us, it'll cost us a little more upfront, but it's not going to be a headache that our operator is going to have to deal with constantly. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so a lot, like I mentioned, in the 70s, there was a wave of wastewater treatment plants getting the painted steel applications put in, and simply, it just doesn't last. It doesn't last in outdoor environments, and it certainly doesn't last in the corrosive environments of a well area or anywhere that there's chemicals, uh, and it doesn't really last well outside either. So... For outdoor applications, we really like to use aluminum, aluminum grating, aluminum rails. It could be mill finish. It doesn't have to be anodized or quite so pretty. Um, those will last you closer to the 40 year mark versus even a hot tub galvanized steel is more like a 25 year mark. And the markets are volatile at this time in 2022, but it's essentially about a 50% increase, um, maybe a little bit less than that, but you are changing it to a 40 year application, 50 year application in some cases. Obviously the ideal metal to use in these environments is stainless steel and a 316 is really the, the top choice, but a lot of applications can be aluminum. I will say in terms of crossover stairs and some other um, smaller applications, we're seeing fiberglass be used pretty um, in more and more projects, FRP applications. We just built out some FRP chemical tables that the pumps sit on themselves. They didn't want to go with a stainless steel even, all of the fastenings are actually Hastaloy, which is a, a really advanced sort of um, piece, but it's, those are the types of things we would recommend. Aluminum, stainless steel, and there are definitely some more applications for FRP. And it, it sounds to me like with all the choices and advancements in metal, that you just don't always have to go with what your grandfather put, put in <laughs> place, you know, and that it pays to do a due diligence. Like, what are my options? You know, some of the things that you've mentioned, many people that are listening to this may not be aware 
that this exists or to even ask their prime contractor who hires you as to, well, what are my options for this design? So it does pay to do your homework to find out what, what is available. And, and some, yeah. And sometimes it's a two-way street. We had recently a bid where somebody, an engineer had drawn a serrated grating as well as a serrated aluminum grating, should I say. And on that grating, there was an abrasive finish called on grip, or there's one that's called slip knot. And what it is, is it's a sprayed on application. Think like weld, fine welding slag, and it's embedded onto the metal itself. So it is to make sure that there aren't slips, trips, falls, but a serrated grating is going to do that for you. So while we bid what they put out there, we also put a note on our bid. There's an opportunity for value engineering here. Should we either eliminate the serration and just go to a straight I-bar grading with the on-grip finish or leave the serration and eliminate the finish because the serration is the grippiest thing that you can walk on. So you just... Again, that's why you have people in the trades that are experts in that way and can answer those questions or identify those duplications. That's excellent. So ways that you can save money by just understanding materials. You know, uh, yeah, good, excellent, excellent point. So when you're thinking about ergonomics and incorporating ergonomics into a design, does it impact the cost at all? Yeah, it does, but maybe not in the way that you think. Probably, okay. basically, the opposite. So where you, that. where you don't, the inverse, opposite, basically. Right. So where different plants don't incorporate this usership or the ergonomics into the planning process, it gets accomplished in different ways, such as later outside of the contract now needing to be fixed. Like the example I gave before, but another example is we work for a large utility company, which isn't quite the same as our wastewater treatment plant and water treatment plant clients, but they are definitely adjacent. And they have valves that they need to access and they have all of these platforms already built. Now the valves are above an eight foot working height on those platforms. Plus they're already on a platform. So you really wouldn't want to put a ladder on that platform. Now, when you call in a company like mine to have to put in a new platform to access that area, it's much more expensive because we have to work within the existing footprint of what's there. We don't have the freedom to build just anything we want there's already something there and we have to figure out a way to tie it in. And it's not always the most sensical way. So you do end up paying for it, but it's basically more expensive not to consider the usership on the front end. So if there's a selling point for considering this stuff, even if you can only look at the green or the pocket part of it, that alone should make the case for consulting with the users at the front end of the project. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Ellie, thank you for all of the pointers and the information today. It's definitely really good food for thought. And although it's not, you know, what you do isn't directly tied to what we do, in a way it is. Because, you know, you're being tasked to construct something that is going to keep keep our industry safe. And so thank you for your work. Thank you for sharing this with us. And um, I look forward to having you again on the show for other topics because I, I think there's a lot more to Ellie Kastner than meets the eye, folks. So again, uh, thank you for joining us on this week's episode. And until next time, keep it flowing. Thanks for joining me, the Doo-Doo Diva, on this week's episode of Smells Like Money. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or simply tell a friend about the show because that would help us out a lot too. If you're an industry expert and would like to be considered as a guest for the show, email guest at smellslikemoneymedia.com. Tell us a little bit about yourself and the topics you'd like to talk about, and we'll be in touch. For more information about our family of marketing, international business development, and workforce training companies dedicated to the empowerment and education of our industry, call us at 760-217-8010 or email me at raven at creativeraven.com. Until next week, a big shout out to all my industry friends and those who will be. You're my superheroes. <laughs>